Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another special COVID-19 dispatch from Beyond Prisons. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Sonnenstein. For this episode, I spoke with a woman who we're calling Alice to protect her and her husband from retaliation by California prison officials. Alice's husband is incarcerated in Soledad, California, at the Central Training Facility, which some of you may remember from our episode and my reporting on gladiator fights in the state last year. Alice joined me to share some of what she has heard and experienced herself regarding the prison's response to the pandemic. Alice and I compare and contrast what California prison officials say they're doing in response to the crisis with what Alice has heard is happening at CTF, as well as how the prison is reacting to efforts by her husband and other prisoners to protect themselves. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you to follow and like the Beyond Prisons podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also check out our new website at beyond-prisons.com, where we've posted a comprehensive guide to advocating for incarcerated people during COVID-19, thanks to the generous help of our listener volunteers. If you'd like to support the show and are able to make a donation, you can visit beyond-prisons.com donate for some options, which includes our Patreon page. And if you can't give money but want to help out, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show where you listen to it and tell a friend about us. Thank you to everyone out there who continues to listen to the show and support us through this difficult time. We really appreciate each and every one of you. And we have some more great episodes in the pipeline that I'm really excited to share with you in the coming days and weeks. With that, let's turn to the interview. Here's my conversation with Alice about the situation with COVID-19 in California prisons. Alice, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today. Um, I think probably the best place to start would be to sort of set the stage for our conversation. I was wondering if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, about your family, your husband. Um, and then uh, before we get into some of the things that you and I talked about on the phone previously that we want to get into today, um, if you could also bring people up to speed a little bit about what's gone on in the facility where your husband is over the last like two years. I know it's a very complex uh, story, but just to sort of give people an idea um, coming into this story of the, of the whole situation. Sure, no problem. Um, thank you for having me on first. Um, my husband has been incarcerated for almost 24 years. Um, during his incarceration, he was actually part of the Pelicans Bay Shoe Hunger Strike. Since winning that and finding that, um, he landed in Correctional Training Facility in Soledad, California. On August 2018, um, things started escalating between the Southerners faction and the faction of the Bulldogs. Um, and this uh, included Pleasant Valley, Sierra um, Conventional Facility. I'm not, I don't think I'm saying that right. And then uh, Corcoran and Pleasant Valley State mm-hmm. Prison. It was all the Central Valley prisons. Um, the Bulldogs are placed just in Central Valley prisons for some reason. Um, started a, a lot of gladiator fights with, between those two groups, meaning that they're purposely placed and they're not willing to program with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Southerners will program with any other race, just not the Bulldogs, because the Bulldogs don't follow the same rules 
that uh, apply to to everyone else. They mm-hmm. do what they want and they attack at all means. So um, CDCR um, decided that they would place these guys in the yard on certain days, certain amount of group from of group members from each side, and it's very staged where um, one faction wears one thing and the other faction has to wear another, so you can distinguish which is one. Mm-hmm. Um, it went on for several months. Um, I did not see my husband the first time around for 216 days, eight months. Wow. Um, that's just not myself. That's everybody who was involved in this. Um, probably just from from the southerner side, maybe about 500 families, even more. Um, and it happened again um, in 2019 that caused them to go under lockdown again. We only had mm-hmm. visits for about three months, and then it happened again because they started redoing what they call IRs, and they're not IRs, they're gladiator fights when you knowingly put two groups who are going to continue to fight with each other on the yard. Um, um, since then, that was again in August 2019. Um, in January, again, I hadn't seen my husband again. He was mm-hmm. actually placed in the shoe for participation in a riot with along with 40 other men. Only the Southerners, though. The Bulldogs were not placed mm-hmm. in anything. Never received reprimand for this. And I know everybody has seen it, and you can Google it. It was one of the biggest so-called riots um, in California, over 200 um, prisoners and uh, um, my husband received a 115 for that along with the other guys they did fight it um, they were in the shoe for about a month and a half never received their properties lost all their properties when they went back to regular programming um, they are on something called modified programming where they only let them go to the yard maybe like once once or twice a week mm-hmm. um, they don't get stores so you know and in january they came to agreement to start a new program where it would allow us to the southerners would see their families visit the first sunday first sunday of the month and the third saturday and the bulldogs would would receive visits the first saturday and the third sunday um and now we're here with the COVID 19 and all visits have stopped Mm -hmm. and uh we're back to being on lockdown, which is, I, you know, I know this is really hard for a lot of families, um, but it's, it's like normal life for me because that's all I know. Right. You know, I started my relationship with my husband almost three years ago, and we've been dealing with the whole lockdown and gladiator fights for two. So it's really sad that um, I miss him, but it doesn't affect me like it's probably affecting thousands of other people who have incarcerated loved ones because right. we're so used to it. To me, is really sad. Totally. So, yeah, thank you for that. I um, I'm I'm really grateful that you set the stage like that, and you know, for people who want to get more details on the context here, we did an episode. Uh, several months ago on the gladiator fights in California. 
Um, so a lot of the details about the IRs and the more details about what the lockdown looked like and all of that, I encourage people to go back and listen to that. And we wrote some articles as well at Shadowproof um, that I'll link to in the episode notes for that. Um, but I wanted you to bring that up because I wanted to give people a sense of the administration that you're dealing with. I have in front of me what CDCR put together on their website, and it has all the things that they say that they're doing and the, the privileges and the protection that they say that they're giving prisoners. But I want to start by having you tell folks what you told me about the cell searches and why are you concerned about them? Um, I reached out to you because um, we are being greatly affected and it's all over the news and the media how COVID-19 um, doesn't show up and doesn't show any symptoms maybe till 14 days, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest concern was when this first started, they suspended visits and and um, they were just verbally asking their staff, um, do you feel good? Do you have a temperature? When to me, it made more sense that they have their own medical staff. They should have their staff medical staff stand outside and tempt these guys and these women coming into the prison because mm-hmm. there's no way that the COVID-19 is just going to appear in prison. No, it, it, it's transmitted. You know, you, you, right. someone has to have it to give it out. And the only way they would get in it would be through their own staff. So, you know, CDCR tends to do things, things backwards or when it's too late. Mm-hmm. And that's apparent in a lot of other prisons where they see positives right now because it's going to spread like wildfire. Fire. They're all together. There's no social distancing in prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so they decide to start temping these guys now, but you can temp and, and come out to a regular, you know, a regular right. temperature, not show symptoms for 14 days. And now we have what they call squad who is going into these wings searching cells for hours and end, and they handcuff our loved ones, put them in the dray room with the other people of the other certain, the cells they're searching. And how are they supposed to cover their mouth if they need to cough or protect themselves from others who are coughing or, you know, mm-hmm. how do you spend hours in someone's cell where, let's, you know, let's be honest. These guys live in small quarters. They share it with someone else. They are probably one of the cleanest, most organized people you will ever meet because they have to live a certain way because they only have so much room capacity to live in. Mm-hmm. So they're used to certain things and, and the way they live. And you're going to come in and spend hours in there and destroy everything and touch everything and go through everything during a pandemic where if one of the, the COs is is sick and doesn't know it, he's going to infect everything in there because he spent so many hours in there. And you can't tell me otherwise because everything shows that mm-hmm. when COVID-19 touches a surface, it spends hours on there unless you sanitize it. And, and how are these guys going to get a sanitizer? Right. They're not provided. I think what they have is the things that, that we order for them through their packages. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. This is exactly why I want to sort of juxtapose what CDCR has facing the public on their website with what you've been told from your husband about how things are actually going on inside. So for instance, um, I'm just going to quote some passages from this, and then I'm going to ask you to tell me, you know, what you've heard related to that. So 
on the subject, you know, you're talking about having uh, officers go into cells, pulling people out of cells, touching everything in there. So CDCR and the prison health services said that they are requiring the use of cloth face coverings for both staff and the incarcerated population. All staff and members of the incarcerated population are being provided at least two reusable cloth barrier masks. Staff working or performing duties on institutional grounds shall wear a cloth face covering at minimum. Uh, The incarcerated population is required to wear the masks during uh, movement outside of their cell, when they're interacting with each other in the yard or at the canteen, when they're going to health appointments. And CDCR says it's been actively monitoring and assessing to make sure that everyone has enough supplies of personal protective equipment uh, so that they can immediately address any exposures. Does that sound like what you have heard from your husband? Um, no. <laughs> this is the thing with CDCR. It's so huge and the prison population is so huge that just because they're doing it in one prison doesn't mean that CDCR Sacramento, and I think that's the, the issue, that CDCR Sacramento is the one who's putting all this online, making it look beautiful, mm-hmm. but I guarantee you that they don't communicate that to their other prisons because that is known for sure. They have mm-hmm. no sense of communication. Their chain of command is a complete failure. So. They might be doing it or starting it in, in one prison or in another or, or whatever, right? I, I'm I'm thinking that they're doing it in the prisons that are mostly effective, that have a lot of positives. Mm-hmm. But from what I know right now, the staff does not wear face masks. And I don't know that from my husband. I know it from an article that was posted about CTS Soledad, that mm-hmm. are, they're still refusing to wear masks, even though that was put out there. Um they're, they need to wear masks. Our men, you know, when this first started, they started wearing their bandanas as a sort, you know, source of protection, at least to try, you know, to try to keep themselves um, clean from this, you know, infection. And they were getting in trouble because they are supposedly trying to, they're like doing gang awareness. Like they're not, right. they're, wearing a blue bandana is because they're 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 showing that you know they're southerners or whatever the case whatever the ridiculous and that they would give them 115 to write them up for that it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me that they're trying to do whatever they can to keep themselves safe again it's not them that are bringing this in it's the ceos so i'm sorry i'm not going to speak to a ceo with with nothing you know covering me i'm not going to go out to the yard and not take nothing to cover me because we know it's out there. And that's what they were receiving at the beginning, which, mm-hmm. you know, write me up if you need to, but I'm going to keep myself safe. And I think that anybody, even in the outside population who's not part of this would agree with that. Right. So as far as you know, you know, you said that you read that um, the officers are not wearing masks, which as you pointed out, you know, people are asymptomatic. So even if there's no positive tests in CTF, they should still be wearing masks, right? And protective equipment. Um, And has your husband said anything about whether they've distributed masks and made sure that uh, prisoners have them? As of right now, today, in this moment, all I know is that they are supposed to start sometime next week distributing them. But our our guys have, uh, how should I say this? Um, They don't wait for them. They have started sewing their own masks. Right. Mm-hmm. 
that makes sense. That's so the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I think you brought this up when we uh, when we spoke previously in terms of when people are on the yard and they're waiting in line with the phone. You mentioned even in the beginning of this conversation that physical distancing is not possible in prison. The CDCR says that they've distributed information on distancing to staff and inmates, and they are practicing social distancing strategies where possible, including limiting groups to no more than 10, assigning bunks to provide more space between individuals, rearranging scheduled movements, uh, encouraging distancing during the yard time, adjusting dining schedules. Have you heard anything about that in your conversations with your husband? They are self-eating, so they do that. They don't go out at all for, mm-hmm. for breakfast or uh, they self-eat. Um, when they do go to the yard, CTF is ran a little bit different than most prisons because it's, it's older. They go out in wings. So what they do is like, um, and it's rotational, so you'll never get the same day. Um, so let's say Monday is B-wing. They go out, all B-wing goes out and it's, you know, social distancing is is the cap on the yard is I think 250. So I don't know what social distancing looks like for you, but that's not social distancing for me. But that's the way that they're trying to do it. So it's 250. Um, CTF also works different where the phones are on the yard. They are trying to get phones inside the building. I do know that. And I do know that's in the work, but every other phone is off, I believe, so that you do have that space. Um, But, and then it's harder to call home because the lines are outrageous and you only get to be out there four hours and then that wing will go in and then the afternoon the next wing will go out mm-hmm. so that's you know, that that they're doing I, I don't know how other prisons are running it or how they're doing it but a lot of prisons especially the newer ones have the phones inside in terms of cleaning products and hygiene products cdcr claims that they're instructing institutions to quote conduct additional deep cleaning efforts in high traffic areas including visiting and healthcare facilities. They're ordering for additional cleaning in communal areas like day rooms and showers and restrooms. Um, They are disinfecting frequently regular touch points. So things like telephones, doorknobs, desk areas. Have you heard anything about that and the level to which that they are cleaning spaces where prisoners are going? I, I haven't personally heard anything, but I do know, I, I speak to a wife a lot who, who her husband um, was a Mac rep and he is able to communicate with her and let her know that um, they do give the porters the cleaning supplies that they need, but for in, like individually for our guys, no. And another like argument is when they're standing in line and using the phone, it's one, it's 15 minutes contact on the phone. And then one is hanging it up and another one, I, I haven't heard that they're sanitizing the phones in between time. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. understand that. Um, but I do know that the porters, at least there, are, are getting the necessities that they need to to clean and sanitize. What about um, like hand sanitizer and soap? You mentioned that it's only the, um, it's only the soap that you guys are sending in in packages. Is CDCR making soap and hand sanitizer available like they say they're, they're doing publicly from what you've heard? From what I heard, no. It's just whatever we we send in their quarterly packages or what they get when they go to store. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you next, have you, I know that in the past, you know, around the gladiator fights and all, um, you and some of the other folks with people on the inside 
had made efforts to speak with CDCR, get the attention of elected officials. Have you had any communication with any CDCR officials around their handling of the pandemic? No. If anything, what what we do I do now is I actually go through. Uh, if I have any questions, I reach out to one of the IFC members, uh, the Inmate Family Council. Mm-hmm. It's really hard and it's really sad that you can send out a thousand emails, uh, letters, uh, you know, certified letters. I have to send out everything certified because you won't get a response because they magically didn't get it. Mm-hmm. They they won't respond. Oh, they will send you. They'll send you like an automated. We're so used to it. automated response that you know 300 at a wife's got they just changed the name right um so it becomes like uh, frustrating because you don't have that you know line of communication and you know it, it frustrates you even more when when the warden will always say or you know the lieutenants at a certain institution well it's sacramento who in sacramento so that i can reach out to them but it's always it's sacramento i have wrote personally to ralph diaz so many times who's the head of CDCR, to his secretary, I have never once, never once gotten a response from that man. Never once. Connie Gibson, same thing. Never once. Nothing. I wanted to ask you, too, what this has been like sort of emotionally and psychologically for you, for other women and other people on the outside who have people on the inside that they care about. Um, And if you've heard from your husband or anything else what the feeling is on the inside how you know the whether it's anxiety or stress or if the, if they're handling it fine i just kind of want to get a sense of both inside and outside what this is like uh to go through this i think for all of us who have loved ones in there it it it's you know it's it's hard when you can't you don't have control of a situation. It's out of your control and you are depending on people who took an oath to to protect and preserve human life while they're in there. And and you know, you know in your heart that those people only worry about getting paid mm-hmm. every, you know, fifteen days or whatever. And you don't you don't know where to go because it's not just it's not just us this time. It's not just certain prisons. It's everybody. Right. And and you know that you know that what they're putting on the website is lies. So you know that you worry every day wondering, oh my God, is someone, you know, thank God right now, CTF and a lot of other prisons haven't had any positives as of now. And mm-hmm. I hope that they don't. I hope that this goes away. But you you worry of, oh my God. Is he is he gonna come in contact with somebody who has it? Don't talk to nobody for too long. Stay away from everybody. Stay away from the COs. Stay. That's mm-hmm. you know my big. Always, I swear, I always say, stay away from the COs. Don't mm-hmm. get away from them. Because obviously, if anybody would bring it in, it would be them. And I think all of us have that. I have a wife who, who her husband's parole board was postponed, and he was supposed to have it on March 23rd, and and still there's nothing. Now, could you, I, I get her frustration and her heartbreak that maybe he had an opportunity to be approved and let go home. But if anything happens or, you know, God forbid he gets sick, what, where do we go from that? Because he could have had the possibility to be able to come home. Right. Um, for him, in a sense, I think it's, it's frustrating because they're just, you know, you only have so much room to pace. 
for us, yeah, we're quarantined in our home to stay stay home. But at least I can go from the bedroom to the living room, and I have like 800 square feet that I just walked. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can go walk outside, they're only allowed outside maybe once or twice a week for four hours at a time. So it's frustrating. I get it. My husband is again part of the Pelican Bay shoe hunger strike. I'm sorry, shoe hunger strike where he spent you know hours in his cell by himself, just pacing back and forth. To to him, I think, um, and it, it always, I think, to a lot of them, it's it's a sense of anxiety. You know, you you become mm-hmm. like, oh, I just want to get out of this this hole. Um, I just can't be in here. You start to, you know, I he's very anxious, so he has really bad anxiety, and and not just him. It's it's those with like mental health issues who mm-hmm. who do see who do see a specialist, they're being restricted to one phone call a week. I'm sorry, I'm I'm a woman and I don't have mental health issues, but I have moments. And when I have a moment, I I need to sometimes vent to somebody. Now, can you, can you imagine them that, oh, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to hold on and have your moment once a week. That's, right. there's no way, there's no way that you can do that to somebody. You know, we have, I, I don't know who started the petition, but, and we sent letters to please allow them to have tablets. So at least, you know, the tablets are are ran by CDCR. They can see everything that 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 goes on in those tablets. You can make phone calls, video chats. That would be so convenient for families right now to be able mm-hmm. to see their loved ones and and for people with mental health issues to be able to contact the person that is helping them through this moment. Mm-hmm. But you know, that that goes on deaf ears when when it's not their idea, meaning CDCR. I know that in the past, again, you know, around the gladiator fights, some of you folks were able to try to meet with um, CDCR officials. I also know that there were some protests uh, outside of the facilities, but, you know, with social distancing and with the pandemic, I know that that isn't really as much of an option as maybe it had once been. Has the pandemic influenced the way that you've been able to advocate for your husband at all? Of course it does, because now it, it, it cuts out a whole big chunk of who a lot of these wives are. You know, you have your few couple of wives that are so dedicated and will do whatever and, and will go wherever it needs to go. You know, you have some wives who drive all the way from San Diego or all the way from Los Angeles just to have and sit in a budget meeting with legislators to have to have two minutes to make a comment, two little minutes. They drive over 16 hours back and forth to have two minutes to say their comment. And I think that if someone ever drives that distance to to, to just sit there and listen to these legislators, that, you know, they're not rushed to, to make their statement. They're not going to take 10 minutes making a statement, but, you know, they should right. be able to get across if they want to. And that, you know, obviously, you know, the Capitol is closed right now protesting because of social distancing so the only thing you you really have is to write letters to legislators to email legislators to to write and email cdcr officials the wardens and it's frustrating because again like i said earlier there's Mm -hmm. no response turn and they're gonna say that it's because they're busy trying to make make sure that that our loved ones are safe but you know you can clearly tell that not every prison is run the same and and there's a lack mm. of communication from what's going on in one that's going on in the other and every warden will say well this is my prison i i run it as i see fit and i get that i do get that but 
that what's the point of writing something in black and white if we're not going to follow it? So, um, you know, it, it, it puts a big, a big gap in between of what we can do and what we can get back in return. And, and what, can, what can we push all together to get back in return? Like this, uh, petition that was started for the tablets, you know, I, I believe it has over 2000 signatures, but you know, when will CDCR decide to, to answer and say, you know what, they do, they do say something that, you know, that makes sense. But just because it was the wives and loved ones of incarcerated people, it no longer makes sense to us because they don't see us as human. They see us as, you know, part of the criminal system, which, you know, needs to, they need to know how to separate that. I think that's a, a crucial point that you're raising too about how CDCR might be saying things and issuing edicts and so on and so forth, but the prisons are little fiefdoms unto themselves. Like each prison is its own unit. So CDCR might say that it's doing something, but the warden is ultimately the one running the show at that facility. Um, And I think that that is probably the case, not just in California. I mean, it's a huge issue in California because California is not only a massive state, but it's a massive incarcerator, right? Like there are so many jails and prisons in that state. If we're talking about state prisons, each of them are under CDCR. However, they're not operated necessarily all by CDCR. So even if if CDCR relents and says, you know, we will uh, get tablets and we'll start providing them. Who knows when it'll come to your facility, you know, or if it will. Yeah, a good example of that is that they worked with J-Pay, um, right when you said that, uh, you worked with J-Pay and J-Pay released this email, this beautiful email stating that, you know what, don't, don't, you know, if the letters are taking too long because of whatever is going on, you can now log on to J-Pay and pay us for stamps and you know what we'll write you'll write an email you don't have to have jpay the prison will print it out with pictures if you want to send pictures then you got to pay for that and we'll deliver them to your loved one in 48 hours so you know you you put guinea pigs out there who are like okay let's try it let's try it let's try it mm-hmm. and um you have wives who who did it right when it started and it's, i think it started almost maybe almost two weeks ago and their loved ones still haven't received anything. Mm. So just it's another way for for one of the organizations and one of the businesses of CDCR to make more money within this and 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 not, you know, and not come through. Some prisons right. are already doing it, the, the their loved ones are getting it, but some prisons aren't. So exactly right. what you said, they might distribute the tablets within one prison, but another prison is so it's never it's never consistent because again their chain of command is a failure. Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, I mean, and it's not only profits; it generates good press for them too, which I think um, also functions to take the pressure off of legislators and other officials in government from having to act or oversee what's going on in the prison. You know, they're getting uh, their cues from the media, and the media is saying, you know, look at how well CDCR is handling it. So. I appreciate you raising that. I have one more question for you. And then, you know, if there's anything else that you want to add or speak to, I encourage you to. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, what kind of demands are you hearing from your husband and from other people inside? um, And how might people on the outside be able to help 
you all out in a time like this? I think their biggest concern is, is like ours, is their safety and security and, and the tablet. Um, the tablet, being able to get the tablet is, is great for them mm-hmm. because, again, they can share it with, the, with their cellmate and, and they can still keep contact with family. I, I will say, and I always say, it, a big part of rehabilitation is is being able to have that connection with your family. And we're in a moment where even out here, you know, I, I don't go into my mom's house right now because I am an essential worker. I don't want to bring her what I've been dealing with in the mm-hmm. public all day, you know? So it's just, it's a way to connect where where they're still safe and we're still safe for the for the moment. Um, the only thing I can tell people, the only thing I can tell people is that, um, you know, especially those who have loved ones who are incarcerated, don't, don't, don't sit there in silence. Don't wait until it's too late. Um, advocate for your loved one. If, if you need help, reach out to somebody who, who can provide you with that help. Um, you know, send emails speak to your local legislator, call their office, you know, you can get on their website, they'll tell you exactly who your legislator is, who your assembly member is, express your concerns to them. Um, Call the prison, call the ward and push, don't, don't sit there in silence and wait until something happens and then want to panic to do something because that's, we've been there and that's not going to get you anywhere. It'll be too late. You have to, you have to stay always 10 feet ahead of what CDCR is doing mm-hmm. because you'll fall so far behind that you won't be able to catch up. Mm-hmm. And uh, just that's my only, my only advice to those who have incarcerated loved ones. Thank you so much, Alice. Did you have any final thoughts, anything we didn't touch on today? Um, any, anything else that you wanted to say before we say goodbye? Um, no, just thank you. Thank you for the platform. Um, if, if anybody needs help or support, there is a, a website. You can go into unite, again, cdcr.wordpress.com. There's a lot of groups on Facebook um, to help with, with anything that you need. Just, you know, put it on prison support groups and you'll find a lot of stuff. Um, that's my only advice to you guys. Um, you can also find that page on Instagram, again, uh, unite against CDCR. And, you know, reach out to other other wives, other loved ones who are going through the same thing, and maybe they can help you and give you the advice that, that you need and desire in that moment. Alice, thank you so much uh, for speaking to me, and I hope that um, you and your husband stay safe, and please keep in touch, okay? Thank you so much. <laughs>